Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells in every episode. Today we're going to hear the second part of the 10th chapter. If you're new here, I don't know why you start by the newest episode, but never mind. You should probably go back to the very beginning. We'll wait for you. You done? Great, let's get started. Chapter 10, The Indian Gentleman, Part 2. was that Emily was a kind of good witch who could protect her. Sometimes after she had stared at her until she was wrought up to the highest pitch of fancifulness, she would ask her questions and find herself almost feeling as if she would presently answer. But she never did. As to answering though, said Sarah, trying to console herself, I don't answer very often. I never answer when I can help it. When people are insulting you, there's nothing so good for them as not to say a word, just to look at them and think. Miss Minchin turns pale with rage when I do it. Miss Amelia looks frightened, and so do the girls. When you will not fly into a passion, people know you are stronger than they are, because you are strong enough to hold in your rage, and they are not, and they say stupid things they wish they hadn't said afterward. There's nothing so strong as rage, except what makes you hold it in. That's stronger. It's a good thing not to answer your enemies. I scarcely ever do. Perhaps Emily is more like me than I am like myself. Perhaps she would rather not answer her friends even. She keeps it all in her heart. But though she tried to satisfy herself with these arguments, she did not find it easy. When, after a long hard day in which she had been sent here and there, sometimes on long errands, through wind and cold and rain, she came in wet and hungry, and was sent out again because nobody chose to remember that she was only a child, and that her slim legs might be tired, and her small body might be chilled, when she had been given only harsh words and cold slighting looks for thanks, when the cook had been vulgar and insolent, when Miss Minchin had been in her worst mood, and when she had seen the girls sneering among themselves at her shabbiness. Then she was not always able to comfort her sore, proud, desolate heart with fancies when Emily merely sat upright in her old chair and stared. One of these nights, when she came up to the attic cold and hungry, with a tempest raging in her young breast, Emily's stare seemed so vacant, her sawdust legs and arms so inexpressive, that Sarah lost all control over herself. There was nobody but Emily, no one in the world, and there she sat. "'I shall die presently,' she said at first. Emily simply stared. "'I can't bear this,' said the poor child, trembling. "'I know I shall die. I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm starving to death. I've walked a thousand miles today, and they have done nothing but scold me from morning until night.' And because I could not find that last thing the cook sent me for, they would not give me any supper. Some men laughed at me because my old shoes made me slip it down in the mud. I'm covered with now. And they laughed. Do you hear? She looked at the staring glass eyes and the complacent face, and suddenly a sort of heartbroken rage seized her. She lifted her little savage hand and knocked Emily off the chair, bursting into a passion of sobbing. Sarah, who never cried. "'Nothing but a doll!' she cried. "'Nothing but a doll, doll, doll! "'You care for nothing. "'You are stuffed with sawdust. "'You never had a heart. "'Nothing could ever make you feel. "'You are a doll!' "'Emily lay on the floor, "'with her legs 
ignominiously doubled up over her head, and a new flat place on the end of her nose. But she was calm, even dignified. Sarah hid her face in her arms. The rats in the wall began to fight and bite each other and squeak and scramble. Melchizedek was chastising some of his family. Sarah's sobs gradually quieted themselves. It was so unlike her to break down that she was surprised at herself. After a while, she raised her face and looked at Emily, who seemed to be gazing at her round the side of one angle, and somehow, by this time, actually with a kind of glass-eyed sympathy. Sarah bent and picked her up. Remorse overtook her. She even smiled at herself, a very little smile. "'You can't help being a doll,' she said with a resigned sigh. "'Any more than Lavinia and Jessie can help not having any sense. "'We are not all made alike. Perhaps you do your sawdust best.' And she kissed her and shook her clothes straight and put her back upon her chair. She had wished very much that someone would take the empty house next door. She wished it because of the attic window which was so near hers. It seemed as if it would be so nice to see it propped open some day and a head and shoulders rising out of the square aperture. If it looked like a nice head, she thought, I might begin by saying good morning and all sorts of things might happen. But, of course, it's not really likely that anyone but under-servants would sleep there. One morning, on turning the corner of the square after a visit to the grocers, the butchers, and the bakers, she saw, to her great delight, that during her rather prolonged absence, a van full of furniture had stopped before the next house. The front doors were thrown open, and men in shirt sleeves were going in and out, carrying heavy packages and pieces of furniture. "'It's taken,' she said. It really is taken. Oh, I do hope a nice head will look out of the attic window. She would almost have liked to join the group of loiterers who had stopped on the pavement to watch the things carried in. She had an idea that if she could see some of the furniture, she could guess something about the people it belonged to. Miss Minchin's tables and chairs are just like her, she thought. I remember thinking that the first minute I saw her, even though I was so little. I told Papa afterward... "'and he laughed and said it was true. "'I'm sure the large family have fat, comfortable armchairs and sofas, "'and I can see that their red flowery wallpaper is exactly like them. "'It's warm and cheerful and kind-looking and happy.' "'She was sent out of her parsley to the greengrocers later in the day, "'and when she came out of the area steps, "'her heart gave quite a quick beat of recognition. "'Several pieces of furniture had been set out of the van upon the pavement.' There was a beautiful table and a screen covered with rich oriental embroidery. The sight of them gave her a weird, homesick feeling. She had seen things so like them in India. One of the things Miss Minchin had taken from her was a carved teak wood desk her father had sent her. They are beautiful things, she said. They look as if they ought to belong to a nice person. All the things look rather grand. I suppose it is a rich family. The vans of furniture came and were unloaded and gave place to others all the day. Several times it so happened that Sarah had an opportunity of seeing things carried in. It became plain that she had been right in guessing that the newcomers were people of large means. All the furniture was rich and beautiful, and a great deal of it was oriental. Wonderful rugs and draperies and ornaments were taken from the vans, many pictures and books, enough for a library. Among other things, there was a superb god Buddha in a splendid shrine. Someone in the family must have been in India, Sarah thought. They have got used to Indian things and like them. I am glad. 
I shall feel as if they were friends, even if a head never looks out of the attic window. When she was taking in the evening's milk for the cook, there was really no odd job she was not called upon to, to do. She saw something occur which made the situation more interesting than ever. The handsome, rosy man, who was the father of a large family, walked across the square in the most matter-of-fact manner, and ran up the steps of the next-door house. He ran up them as if he felt quite at home and expected to run up and down them many a time in the future. He stayed inside quite a long time, and several times came out and gave directions to the workmen, as if he had a right to do so. It was quite certain that he was in some intimate way connected with the newcomers, and was acting for them. If the new people have children, Sarah speculated, the large family children will be sure to come and play with them, and they might come up into the attic just for fun. At night, after her work was done, Becky came in to see her fellow prisoners and bring her news. It's an Indian gentleman that's coming to live next door, miss, she said. I don't know whether he's a black gentleman or not, but he's an Indian one. He's very rich, and he's ill, and the gentleman of the large family is his lawyer. He's had a lot of trouble, and it's made him ill and low in his mind. He worships idol, miss. He's an Ethan and bows down wood and stone. I seen an idol being carried in for him to worship. Somebody at Otter sent him a trek. You can get a tract for a penny. Sarah laughed a little. I don't believe he worships that idol, she said. Some people like to keep them to look at because they are interesting. My papa had a beautiful one, and he did not worship it. But Becky was rather inclined to prefer to believe that the new neighbor was an Ethan. It sounded so much more romantic than that he should merely be the ordinary kind of gentleman who went to church with a prayer book. She sat and talked along that night of what he would be like, of what his wife would be like if he had one, and of what his children would be like if they had children. Sarah saw that privately she could not help hoping very much that they would all be black and would wear turbans, and, above all, that, like their parent, they would all be Ethan's. I never lived next door to no Ethan's, miss, she said. I should like to see what sort of ways they'd have. It was several weeks before her curiosity was satisfied, and then it was revealed that the new occupant had neither wife nor children. He was a solitary man, with no family at all, and it was evident that he was shattered in health and unhappy in mind. A carriage drove up one day and stopped before the house. When the footman dismounted from the box and opened the door, the gentleman who was the father of the large family got out first. After him there descended a nurse in uniform, then came down the steps two men-servants. They came to assist their master, who, when he was helped out of the carriage, proved to be a man with a haggard, distressed face and a skeleton body wrapped in furs. He was carried up the steps, and the head of the large family went with him, looking very anxious. Shortly afterward, a doctor's carriage arrived, and the doctor went in, plainly to take care of him. "'There is such a yellow gentleman next door, Sarah,' Lottie whispered at the French class afterward. "'Do you think he is a genie?' The geography says the Chinese men are yellow. No, he is not Chinese, Sarah whispered back. He is very ill. Go on with your exercise, Lottie. Non, monsieur, je n'ai pas de canif de mon oncle. That was the beginning of the story of the Indian gentleman. Today's jingle has a bit of a lesson in it. Here's the title and then we'll hear it. This one is called The Rivals. 
two well-built men, neither giant nor dwarf, were Monsieur Elims and Menheer Norf. They lived in a town not far away and spent their time in work and play. Now Monsieur Elims was loved by all, by rich and poor, by great and small. And Menheer Norf remarked one day, Brother, explain to me, I pray, why no one likes me as well as you, no matter what I may say or do. I have stores of knowledge packed in my head. I am learned and wise and very well read. I can dance, I can sing, I'm extremely polite. I am worth a large fortune, all in my own right. But still, and this question has caused me much thought, while I am neglected, you're everywhere sought. Monsieur Elims replied, My dear sir, that is true. But you see, I am I, and you see, you are you. If I receive praises and you receive blame, tis doubtless, because each lives up to his name. You'll find his defense rather puzzling, I fear. But read their names backward, the meaning is clear. Elims and Norf backward are, oh, smile and frown. That does make sense. Why do you think Monsieur Elims is more sought out? Well, I mean, here Norf is, well, not as popular. Which would you prefer to be, and why? Well, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Come back on Monday when we'll hear the first part of the 11th chapter and a brand new jingle. Have a great weekend. Populous thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. Shout out to Kaya, who I know has been listening. Thanks! And no, I have no idea what populous means except that it's a synonym for large and we need to give all the thanks we can. Thanks!